and welcome back to On the Shelf. Today, I, as always, I have a very special episode I cannot wait to share with you all today, an author interview. But today is, is kind of a double feature. Today, I talked to Adeline Grace, author of Belladonna and the upcoming Foxglove, which is out from Little Brown on August 22nd. So I hope you enjoy. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to On the Shelf. I am so excited to talk to today's special guest. I have been so excited for the longest amount of time, uh, and I'm just so happy it's finally coming to pass. We have a very special guest today, as mentioned, and I'm going to hand it over to her. Welcome to On the Shelf. I'm so happy you're here. Hey, Poppy, I'm here. Hello. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm fantastic. The book, you know, we're recording this a couple of days before Fox Look comes out and I am very excited for it. Yes, I'm also very excited. Um, all right. So why don't you give kind of, let's imagine people listening to this, they haven't heard of you. They haven't heard of the Belladonna series at all. What are some kind of basic ideas or just kind of a basic outline to share with them to kind of get some more hype building up to the release this week? Yeah. Okay. So I pitched the series as a whole. The first book is Belladonna. Um, I pitch it as like a gothic Bridgerton meets Knives Out. It is about a 19 year old girl named Signafaro who can see spirits and who has to team up with death himself to solve a murder in a very eerie gothic manner. Uh, and, you know, they may or may not have some romantic tension between them. Death may or may not be the love interest. So that's the pitch for the series as a whole. And then the sequel, Foxglove, comes out in just a couple days. I'm very, very excited. And I don't want to spoil it too much, but for those who have read Belladonna, I would say you can expect uh, Death's estranged brother has arrived on the scene. His name is his fate, and he is here to throw a wrench into Death and Signa's relationship. He is, um, <laughs> he's never met a grudge that he doesn't love. He loves to hold on to those grudges, and he has one for Death because death took the only person he ever loved and now fate wants to take that from death. Interesting. All right. So our questions are kind of sectioned into three categories. The first few are just kind of get to know you fun kind of questions. And then some that are about um, your writing process and just your kind of writing journey. And then some that are going to get into the book. But again, no, nothing super spoilery, just kind of some fun book related questions. Um, so getting started is one of our staple questions we've asked it every single interview we've ever done to the point where we don't know who came up with it but if you were a plate what type of plate would you be I think this question is hilarious I was actually once asked a kind of similar question on a very important job interview uh back when I was trying to get an internship at Nickelodeon they asked me a similar question so I think these questions are so funny my first like in my head reaction was like a license plate, but I don't know why. And I don't think that's accurate. I think what I want to be is like one of those really cool, like if you log on to like anthropology or something and you look at like their house of Hackney, like their weird plates that you would have at like this uh, really cool, lavish tea party. I think that's what I would want to be like some sort of like weird animal print or something, or just something super off the wall. No, that's completely fair. Um, and it's just, I don't know, it's just a fun question in general to ask. Um, I don't know. I don't think we've ever gotten that specifically. I mean, we also haven't gotten license plates, so I'll take both. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, at some point, I'm sure I'll consolidate all of the answers and be like, what do these say about you, depending on how you answer the question? <laughs> Um, so our next kind of icebreakery question is, if you had to spend a year in a fictional world, which would it be and why? Oh, okay. Here's my problem. I know where I want to go, but I wouldn't want to leave. And it's the hardest thing because I don't know that I could, like would physically be able to handle leaving. And it would be, I would want to go to the world of Pokemon and I would want to get my own Pokemon and become a trainer and stuff like that. And my problem would be, you know, if I have to leave after a year, I couldn't do it. Like, could I take my Pokemon with me? Maybe. Is that 
don't know. Maybe you would be able to negotiate a deal of like, how about I stay longer? <laughs> yeah. Like if I could stay longer, if I could bring them with me, that would 100% be where I would go ever since I was little, like Pokemon has always been my jam. And, uh, the very first job I ever wanted was to be the person to somehow bring them to life. Once I realized like all the science that would have to go into that and how I do not really have a science brain, I had to settle on, you know, uh, writing stories for a living rather than making Pikachu exist. Well, I don't know. I feel like that's a decent consolation. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So our next question is kind of along a similar theme. If you could choose any of your characters to share a meal with, who would you pick and what meal would you want to have with them? Oh, we'd be like a tea party for sure. We'd be doing a tea party. And it's funny because I think that like death has humor similar to mine, but I would not want to go to a tea party with death because the whole time I'd just be like, don't touch me, don't touch me, don't touch me. Mm -hmm. Um, Because for anybody who is unfamiliar, you know, death's touch and Belladonna, um, kills so I would not want to be that close to him uh Cigna is super fun but I think she'd also be like a little bit of an odd duck for me to like sit and have hours worth of a tea party with um so I think I'm going to choose Blythe who Mm -hmm. has much more of a point of view in Foxglove or she does have a point of view in Foxglove she is a main character in Foxglove um and she is I think hilarious. She is very fiery, very witty, very sharp. And I feel like she would just be so fun to have at a tea party. Oh, yeah, that's completely fair. And I also understand like death at a tea party would be a very interesting vibe. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, he loves them. Like in Belladonna, he like kind of hangs out around Signa at this tea party and toys with her a little bit and I think it'd be like super cool to like see him in a little shadow chair like sipping tea but uh yeah I wouldn't want him anywhere near me yeah no that's completely fair um so you touched on this a little bit when you were um introducing your books but I'm wondering what your main inspiration was how did you come up with this um premise and as you kind of said it's kind of um like gothic bridgerton meets meets knives out how did you choose what kind of like historical elements or setting to incorporate and which to kind of come up with if that makes sense yeah so i initially came up with the idea for belladonna probably about 10 or 11 years ago a very long time ago when i was working in live theater and we were working on the show the secret garden So you'll see a lot of nods to the Secret Garden musical in Belladonna. Uh, I've not actually read the book, but I know the musical very, very well. Because, you know, we have to do it like at least eight days a week. And then when we're in like tech week and stuff before it goes live, it's just, you know, the show like the back of your hand before it ever reaches an audience. So one night, probably like several weeks into it, I was sitting up on the catwalk and the rafters high above the audience where they have no idea that I am they're looming above them and I just remember like as these ghosts are singing on the stage and I'm thinking about how I wish the show was a little bit darker I wish like the characters were a little bit older like what would that look like um I remember just looking down and being the weirdo that I am just being like what would happen if I fell from here like would I die would anybody see me would I become like this theater ghost um and just that very small kind of thought eventually sparked the idea of Belladonna and like a girl who could see spirits and who could see things that other people can't. And then of course I wanted this world to feel darker and to feel more mysterious and to feel more romantic. Uh, So I aged up the story in a big way. And I mean, obviously it's not direct, it's not like a direct uh, secret garden story, but there's a lot of like nods to it that I wanted to include just to kind of, you know, harken back to the fact that that was where the inspiration initially came from. Um, And then in terms of the historical elements, I have always loved the Victorian era. I feel like it is just fascinating. I would never want to live in it because it is horrific and full of diseases and all these terrible things and everything they're putting on their face contains like lead and arsenic and it's just ridiculous. Um, But you know, reading stories about it and seeing films about it and TV shows about it, it's always fascinated me. And they also have such an interesting relationship with death. Mm -hmm. The lifespan was so much shorter back then. 
and death was just much more woven and it was woven into the world in a very different way that I think we kind of experience now. And, you know, there's people taking photographs with their deceased loved ones and they're like posed and you can look all these up online and it's just fascinating. And I thought it just really lended itself itself well to the story as a whole, because, you know, the story is so centric around Mm -hmm. this idea of death and dying and grief and moving on. Uh, So it just all fit very well. No, yeah. And you saying Secret Garden makes so much sense, because while I was reading through, like, there was something there where I was like, elements of this (laughs) add up to something and I couldn't like put my finger on it but that makes so much sense as that being kind of the inspiration um so our next question this is kind of getting a bit more into the actual writing side of things um is there anything you think you learned with your debut duology that you really tried to incorporate when working on belladonna and creating this world Yeah, I think so much of the debut experience is you are a fish thrown into the ocean for the first time and you don't really know how to survive and you don't know if something's going to like eat you and you're just happy to be swimming in this ocean. And I think a lot of it was just kind of, I had to learn along the way to trust myself and to trust like my storytelling instincts and to make sure I'm writing the exact story that I want to write. Mm -hmm. Um, and with Belladonna, I was really able to do that. And that's not to say like I had bad editors or anything for the first book. Like that wasn't it at all. It was just, you don't necessarily know as a debut that you're allowed to kind of like question feedback or change things. Like I had a great experience writing that book, but you don't know what you don't know. Yeah. And so with Belladonna, um, I just, I knew a lot more about publishing. I knew a lot more about my, my writing style and my preferences. And I was really able to focus on telling the exact story that I wanted to tell. And one thing I always think back to when I'm talking about this is, um, one of my initial editors for the book for, for Belladonna, uh, wanted me to remove a character. I, I, I'll i just tell you. Uh, they wanted me to remove the character of Silas. I will not say anything more of like why, but it's a huge, he is a huge character in the story. Mm-hmm. And there are twists and turns that were really important to me that would have been taken out. Um, so I was able, you know, because of my experience, I was able to understand the note behind the note which was just that Silas as a character needed more importance on the page. And I was able to kind of remedy that while still listening to the editorial feedback and understanding why I was given it, but also being able to change it in a way that made sense to me and that enabled me to tell the story that I wanted to tell. And I think that stuff like that only comes with experience and publishing, uh, which you just don't have as a debut. Yeah, I mean, that completely makes sense. And I mean, obviously, as mentioned, we're not going to talk about it, but I'm fascinated as to like, just how the book would have ended up if he were not a part of it. Like, that's honest, like, that's a little bit mind boggling. It would have been so different. Just such a different story. Oh, okay. So this next question is um, a bit along similar lines. Are there any through lines or themes that you kind of try to include in both your series, kind of despite how different um, the premises are? Um, I think it's a good question. I don't know off the top of my head. Like it's, it's difficult for me to think about, like, I try to include feminism in all of my books. You know, I think that it's more just like, each story is its own individual thing to me and whatever that story sort of needs, Mm -hmm. I will give to that story. So I don't know that there's anything that I'm like, I want to put this into every story. I do think that like animals make their way into all of my stories somehow in some capacity. Um, And I think there will, there will always be magical worlds and magical worlds that are kind of like glitzy and sparkly but filled with this darkness I think like I'm just very drawn to that but in terms of like general themes or something I think it's just uh it's different for every book no yeah that's completely fair um and I don't know that's 
interesting to hear about, but I completely understand if there's not just like random things that you can pull upon um, that you think, but I don't know. That's interesting. Um, all right. So continuing on, um, how did you kind of choose fantasy as your main genre for writing? Um, did you ever kind of attempt things with other genres that maybe just like didn't pan out? Have you always known like this is the kind of thing I want to write, especially because of your um, your background, not necessarily in the literary world? Um, just I don't know, just kind of your process of coming to this genre do you think you'll ever write a book that's not fantasy or anything like that? Yeah, it's, you know what? I I sometimes have like little ideas for cute rom-coms. I'm like, maybe I'll write just a, a, a basic human, no supernatural elements, no magic rom-com one day. I can't guarantee, like, I can't guarantee anything though. And I can't guarantee yeah. that like halfway through it, somebody won't start like casting spells. Um, I think I've just always been really drawn to the fantastical, like growing up, I remember my favorite stories were Pokemon, Card Capture, Sailor Moon, uh, all the Miyazaki films, everything just so rich in fantasy mm-hmm. and people having powers and stuff like that. And the first stories I ever wrote, I was probably around nine or so and it was back on Neopets, if uh, anybody remembers Neopets. And I used to go to the role play boards and write stories about like wolves with powers. And my very first wolf, if uh, anybody ever happened to role play with me, her name was Shikayo. And she was very misunderstood and accidentally killed her entire pack. Um, yeah, so if that was me, that was me. And I think just they've always, yeah, everybody's always had powers after the wolves I was writing like high schoolers with gifted abilities and it was funny because I was again like nine or ten years old and I thought like being in high school like they were the most mature people Mm -hmm. ever um but yeah I don't know like maybe I will write that rom-com one day with just like a fun meet cute but I think in general I I am I lean towards fantasy I just think it's amazing and so much fun no, oh, yeah. I and I completely understand that. Um I had a conversation a few days ago with someone that was kind of along the same lines of once you kind of find your niche, just kind of you can stay within it and be completely content. But it's also interesting to hear like you're not opposed to reaching out of the bounds, but you know, there still might be some magic lurking around the corner. Um but yeah, I don't know. That's just always really interesting to hear as to like how people find the worlds they're creating and um so this next question again kind of along the lines of writing I'm wondering if you have a favorite and least favorite part of the writing process and does that change from project to project or is it all kind of the same yeah I've been pretty consistent in my favorite and least favorite parts I mean my favorite is the plotting stage like just the the I the raw idea and trying to take it from this this small little inkling of a thought into this like fleshed out world with characters and stuff like that I think that stage is so much fun and if I could just be paid to like plot out stories every day that would just oh that's so much fun um my least favorite part is drafting for sure because you're just staring at the blank page and you have this idea in your head and it's like how do I take this idea that's in my head and actually make it. Mm -hmm. It is the most daunting, the most difficult process. Um, And then I tend to really like editing because, okay, the general idea is now on the paper and Mm -hmm. now I have to fix it and make it closer to that initial idea that was in my head. Um, But, you know, I like to complain about every part while I'm in it, except Mm -hmm. for plotting. I love, I do really genuinely love plotting. But if I'm editing, I'm like, oh, I wish I was drafting a new book. I'm just obnoxious like that. But yeah, I think that uh, I prefer editing and over drafting in general. Interesting. Yeah, I'm seeing kind of um, a lot of through lines with authors and their feelings about drafting as I'm going <laughs> on with this. Um, yeah. So the next question is, what is the best writing advice you've ever received? And if you could go back in time and 
kind of talk to your younger self at the beginning of your writing journey, what do you wish you could tell your younger self? Probably not to rush it, especially when it comes to querying, which for anybody unfamiliar, it's when you're seeking out traditional publishing and you've already written a manuscript, you will then write one page. It's honestly like 300 words and condensing your entire book into this 300 word little summary about what it's about. And then you send it out to agents and are like, Hey, do you want to read my book? Here's what it's about. Um, it is a very difficult process. It is the first initial process that you need to go through after drafting a book um, in order to try to seek traditional publishing and get your book into the hands of editors eventually. And it's you're seeking out an agent through this querying process. And the old advice I heard back at this stage was your book's not dead until you've sent it to a hundred agents. And mm -hmm. frankly, there aren't a hundred good agents. There just are not in this industry. It's a very small industry, um, especially, you know, if you're writing just middle grade books or you're writing young adult, like it, it limits your pool, you know, some agents only do adult, some only do YA. So the idea that there's a hundred people that would be perfect for you to work with and then this very important business relationship is, I think, a lie. Uh, just that we kind of tell ourselves to make ourselves feel a little bit better about the process. And back when I was first starting out, you know, I would probably send my book out before it was ready. And I would definitely send it out to anybody who called themselves an agent. Like they could be wearing a state farm agent shirt and I'd be like, yes, Hey, do you want to read my book? Mm -hmm. And I would kind of just overlook the importance of this business relationship and it being like somebody that is in some ways responsible for my career. And, you know, if I would, if I were to get into a bad contract, that is, it's terrible, you know, it's years of, or potentially years of it affecting you. And it really is such an important industry and such an important business relationship to kind of just pause and to consider and to really do the due diligence of taking your time before you dive into those querying trenches and to heavily research agents and agencies and use tools like Publishers Marketplace to see where these agencies have been making their deals. How often are they making their deals? Are these deals digital only? Are they only selling to a single editor for like 70% of their deals? All of these questions you don't really know to ask yourself in the beginning. Mm -hmm. Um, but it is incredibly important, you know, and I think that just kind of taking a step back, cause I totally get it. Like I, I rushed to, and I wanted to, anybody to kind of validate that I could do this and that I could be in this industry. And it took me several books and it took me several attempts at querying before I was able, uh, before I was able to get representation. So like, I totally get it. And I'm speaking as somebody who has done all of these things, but I think just, I would go back and tell myself, like, calm down, take a breath, wait and do your research. Yeah. And I think that's really great advice, because as you were saying, a lot of people really do just like rush to get there, especially with how traditional publishing is. You really see like the seemingly overnight success stories of authors and think like, I need to do that right out the gate if I want to be taken seriously and just kind of scramble um but yeah and there's no there's no actual like overnight success there's people yeah. who look like it but you know those people have been querying for years this is their 20th manuscript you know you don't see all that side of it but there's nobody who's actually like I mean I shouldn't say nobody but okay maybe one person out of like 20 million I don't know it, like a ridiculous unicorn number who's just like, I wrote this book in a couple weeks and then it was ready for me to query and agents just loved it. Like that's not realistic. That's yeah. not how it works. And if that is not your story, you're not less valid in any way. Cause that really doesn't happen. Like there are people who will get agents quickly. That's, that's a for sure true thing. But a lot of these people are on their, you know, their seventh book, their seventh manuscript that they're trying with. Um, they've been here for a while. Yeah. Yeah. 
I mean, and again, just like, I feel like people just trying to get in, they are just used to not seeing all of the layers because they're not used to being a part of the industry and kind of understanding all the bits and pieces that are all underneath it. Um, so I don't know, just good advice, I think, for anything <laughs> here, especially for your younger self. Um, so continuing kind of with this thread, um, have you always wanted to be a writer or do writing of some kind and just what your journey has been? And I'm also wondering how your background, as you said, like you um, were doing some work for the for storytelling for Legend of Korra, I believe you had some type of like internship position with Nickelodeon, things like that. I'm wondering like how that has affected your literary work. Yeah, I always wanted to tell stories. I knew that from, gosh, at least the age of 10. Um, I grew up in Arizona when Stephanie Meyer was writing Twilight. And she also lived in Arizona. So I went to her very earliest book signings back at Changing wow. Hands before she ever blew up, before the store <laughs> ever like got bigger. It was just this very small venue it's very intimate. And then, you know, over the years, I'm seeing it just boom and people arguing about Ed versus Jacob and her signings are no longer in this bookstore. They're in giant auditoriums, like two story auditoriums where you have to go through like security and check in. It was just wild seeing that live as it was happening over the years. And I think seeing that enabled me to be like, oh, this is a job. Like somebody could do this thing that I love doing in all of my free time, like I would go home from school and just write thousands of words every single day. I loved it so much. And then seeing that hurt, like understanding that somebody could do that for their whole life and get paid for it. I wanted that from <laughs> a very, very young age, but there were definitely times when I wondered like in what capacity, like, did I only want to tell stories through books or did mm -hmm. I want to do screenplays or stage plays or anything like that. So I, every job I had, I tried to find a way to like get those answers for myself. So my very first job was in life theater and I just wanted to get closer to stories that way. And I worked there for probably like six or so years. Uh, and I went, I worked there while I was in college and everything. And then I went into journalism for a little bit and ended up uh, working my way up to like managing editor for that newspaper and that was fun, but it wasn't really, it wasn't really for me. Mm -hmm. So I went and tried to learn more about storytelling through film and through television shows and animation. Um, and I got that internship at Nickelodeon on The Legend of Korra for books two and three. And there's the very, very beginning of four mm -hmm. uh, for Korra, but mostly the end of two, all of three, very beginning of four. Um and that was a great experience. I really enjoyed it. But through that experience, I was kind of writing stories and writing books the whole time. And I was like, you know what? I should just, I should focus on this. And I, I want to see about this. I want to see if I can get an agent and sell a book traditionally. And I ended up uh, with that manuscript I was working on at the time that I was at Nickelodeon. I got into a sort of, it's not really a contest. It's more like a mentorship program called Pitch Wars. It doesn't exist anymore, but it was very big a couple of years ago. And it basically pairs you up with an established author to be your mentor for back when I was doing it, it was like a month. We only had like a month to completely gut and edit our manuscript. And I learned so much about editing through that process because until then editing to me was like, I make the words sound pretty I didn't know really about, you know, diving in deeper, changing character arcs, changing setting, you know, going from first person to third person, like just these huge changes. And that kind of really made me recognize what editing really needed to be. Um, and I did not get an agent with that book, but it enabled me to go on and write the next one, which is when I did get an agent. So I really gained a lot of experience through that. Yeah, so much of the process was just me kind of trying to figure out in what medium I wanted to tell these stories and testing out different things until I found what really stuck with me. No, that's really cool to hear about and almost like 
the little bit of a full circle journey of wanting to just write stories and how you're coming to this now. Um, and just, I don't know, like how each step in your career has just kind of led to this is just really, uh, I don't know, it's just really cool to hear about. I'm an aspiring author, let's <laughs> say. Uh, like that's something I would like to do after college or something like that. So that's just, I don't know, just always really cool to hear. Um, so we're coming up on our question of book related, uh, like actually diving a bit into the book, but because Zoom is expensive, we're going to take a little bit of a break. <laughs> we'll be right back. All right. Um, we are back. We have just a few questions left and we're getting into our third category. So we're finally getting into the book itself. Um, so our first question is if you were quote unquote unkillable, you could see spirits and things like Cigna, what would you do? And how do you think you would react to having those abilities? Do you think you would react differently than she does? Do you think it would kind of be the same? Just, I don't know. What would you do if you were in her shoes? I think I would just be a lot more relaxed about things like mm -hmm. to not have to worry. So I got um, a couple of years ago, I was in a car accident where I broke two ribs and part of my spine it was like a pretty it was a pretty bad accident mm -hmm. so sometimes you know when I'm driving now I'm just I'm a lot more alert and paranoid yeah. and I think just like not having that exist I'm like oh what do your worst like mm -hmm. I'll be fine that just seems kind of freeing I mean certainly a little scary as well because I think about like I don't know tuck everlasting and like things like that where it's just like oh that seems like a lot of heartbreak if you just we're unkillable. Um, but I think, you know, in the interim, while I'm young, like, okay, cool. Like get on the flight and don't even think about it. Uh, don't ever worry about anything. Mm -hmm. It'd be great for a while. Yeah. And definitely different just because of like the different kind of societies. Like there's a lot of different worries that kind of come up that yes. doesn't have to pay any mind to. Uh, which I didn't even take in consideration when I wrote this question. So that was, I don't know, thank you for bringing that up. Um, yeah, so I have a somewhat hunch about your answer to this next question based off of uh, answer you shared before. But do you have a favorite character out of the extended cast? Because obviously we have Cigna, we have Death, we have, you know kind of the main characters leading this book, but there's also a bunch of characters that flesh out this world. Um, like who's kind of your personal favorite? Are there, obviously you said um, there are more POVs and stuff going on, but are there any characters like maybe in another life they would be the lead of a story or anything like that? Oh, that's so tough. Um, I mean, now in Foxglove, like I count Blythe as one of the main characters yeah. since she has her own point of view now. So I think in terms of like, who was fun to write, um, <laughs> Fate is very fun to write. Uh, you know, he's the antagonist now in this book and it was fun to get to discover his character. You know, initially I kind of conceived him as this Halpin dragon meets Klaus Mickelson from, that's his name, right? From the Vampire Diaries? Mickelson. Think so, yeah. Mickelson. Oh. Something like that. <laughs> Something like that. Um, but he changed a lot kind of as I was exploring his character more and kind of actually discovering who he was. So he's been really fun. He is snarky and I just have fun like writing a lot of his little quips um, and he just gets annoyed very easily. But I also had a lot of fun with Elijah, uh, who is Blythe's father. Mm -hmm. Um. I didn't think that I'd have so much fun with like a, a like a older father character, but he's been just a blast to write. And especially in Belladonna, he's just brooding and sad. And he has some lines that I'm just like, oh, this is like a, this is a cool line. Ha ha ha, go me. So I, I did have a lot of fun with him as well. Awesome. I don't know. That's always really interesting to hear and I didn't even take into consideration the multi-POV thing going on <laughs> so that's on me but that's I don't know completely makes sense um all right so the next question uh do you think your protagonists from your two series if they were to meet for whatever reason um they would get along with each other 
Yeah. I think they'd have like a mutual respect for each other. I don't know necessarily that Amora would like want Cigna to be her best friend. I think she'd probably be like a little bit weirded out by her. There's some jokes. I think it's in Fox Club. It's so hard to know because, you know, I've just turned in the first draft of the third book. So maybe it's in the third book. I don't know, but people just like kind of teasing the fact that Cigna just like stares and like doesn't always remember to blink as often as like normal people do. And I think that somebody like Amora would just be like, okay, well, like we could be chill for a little bit, but uh, I'm going to go home now. Mm -hmm. Uh, I I think that they would have a mutual respect for each other and Cigna wouldn't mind being Amora's friend. I don't think at all, but Amora probably would have a little bit tougher of a time of actually becoming like a close friend yeah well that that's really interesting um I don't know like that's always an interesting question to ask because it can range from two different kind of fantasy worlds to like a fantasy world and a contemporary world and just Mm -hmm. like variety of things that can stem from that of like no they would see this person and be like you're magic what is going on here (laughs) next um but yeah I don't know I feel like I agree they would be able to get along they would be able to do whatever they kind of need to do to rectify like however they're together and in like being with each other and all that stuff so I don't know Um, maybe like Amora would use Cygnus powers like her benefit in some way as well I could certainly see a world where that happens where she's like oh this girl can't die cool how can I abuse that (laughs) it's like what to do now Mm -hmm. Um, so this next question I think I might have rearranged it I'm gonna ask it now anyway um do you think you and Cigna would get along if you were to meet either you ended up in this world that you've created or she has come to our worlds like do you think you would get along with her yeah I think we would I think because in part of how well she and Blythe get along Mm -hmm. and I think Blythe shares a lot of a lot of similarities with me not I mean not entirely by any means but Blythe will just like do or say when I'm writing Blythe I'll be like what is the very first thing I would do if like I was not trying to think about if this is the best thing for me to do like what would just like that gut reaction be Uh, and a lot of that goes into Blythe so Mm -hmm. I I think so I think that we would get along pretty well and we would certainly you know eat eat scones and drink a lot of tea yeah the tea party it's perfect exactly (laughs) Um, (laughs) so this next question is kind of along similar lines I'm wondering like what advice would you give Signa in general? And maybe what advice would you give her as she's going into the events of book two, knowing what you know kind of about her fate and just as events unfold? (laughs) Um, I would tell her to just continue to be true to herself. I think that was the lesson that she had to learn in Belladonna. Mm -hmm. And I think she got there. And I think she's going to be tested on that going into Foxglove. Um, and yeah, that is, that is what I would tell her. No, that's completely fair. Um, you know, you're, and you can just watch it all play out and just <laughs> know ahead of time. Um, so the next question, this is a very like hypothetical because um, recently, I believe, Obviously, book three has been announced and you released the title, which is Wisteria, if that is correct. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's say, you know, hypothetically, this went on for like books and books and books. What other poisonous plants would you might want to incorporate as titles? Are there anything, are there any plants or whatever that maybe were an idea but didn't end up making the final cut as book titles or just anything kind of like that? And how much say did you have when choosing what they would be because I know it's kind of different depending on the book and the author sometimes with um aspects of titles so I'm just wondering like kind of that side of things yeah I've chosen all the titles um we never really had to have any conversations about them for this series because they all just sort of fit yeah like you know we made the vibe with Fox or not Fox with uh, Belladonna and it was Poisonous Plant and you know we're very limited in poisonous plant yeah. names um but it i mean foxglove just totally fit it's not 
the focus poison in the way that belladonna is mm-hmm. but you know if you read the very first chapter of the, the prologue of belladonna you can probably know a little bit about what to expect in fox yeah. love um so all the information is there and same with wisteria it'll make sense when people go into reading foxglove um in terms of other names that's a great question that i can't answer because i certainly do have other name ideas and if i ever write any more stories i want them to be a little bit of a surprise so good try but i'm not going to tell you well that's completely fair um Well, yeah. Okay. That's completely fair. And I understand. Uh, (laughs) So continuing on, uh, I'm wondering if this was always intended to be a trilogy or this has just been something that's happened along the way. Because I know there's different things that can happen with writing contracts where maybe you'll be contracted for one, but it does really, really well and they'll allow you to write more or just kind of that aspect of things when it comes to this series. Yeah. So that is exactly what happened for this book. We sold Belladonna as a standalone but I sold it in a two book deal. So my second book was just going to be something. I had Mm -hmm. no idea. Um, But then I actually, I also sold it on proposal. So I sold a summary, a very detailed several page summary of exactly what was going to happen in the book. And then a couple of sample chapters. And I was only able to do that because I had, you know, published other books in the past. It's not something that like debuts really get the chance to do. Um, So after I did that, I went into actually drafting the book and it was not long into that process where I was like, oh, actually this is two books, but I didn't say anything to anybody until I wrote the ending and then I just turned it in and I was like, okay, here you go. Do you want to know what happens next? Uh, And I kind of tricked them into letting me write that second book. And because I had already sold the two book deal, it was not that difficult to do. Uh, Mm -hmm. But then I did it again with Foxglove and just wrote the ending. I was like, he, 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 there's more. Do you want to buy another book from me? And I was only able to do that because readers have really showed up for the series, Mm -hmm. um, especially for Foxglove, like it, it just constantly astounds me how much support there has been for this book. And because of that, I am now able to write the story exactly as I envisioned it. And that is not what really happened for me in the past. So for all the stars and teeth, I wanted it to be a trilogy mm-hmm. and it was only able to be a duology. They did at some point like offer on, um, a third book, but it wasn't, it didn't make sense for me to do it at that time. And and I ended up selling Belladonna and it just really worked out and readers have been so supportive. And because of them, I have been able to, you know, sell that, that, sell that third book, sell Wisteria and tell the story exactly as I envision it without feeling like I'm ever having to leave anything out, which is really incredible. And it's very rare. It's not a thing that happens a lot where readers just show up like that and make it possible to have those additional books. So I'm incredibly grateful for it. No, that's absolutely amazing. I remember um, kind of seeing it as it unfold because when I think it was before Belladonna had come out um, is when like I'd first heard about you and your writing and stuff and just seeing like as Belladonna came out and then seeing like oh there's gonna be a sequel that's really cool and then just a couple weeks ago I was like there's gonna be a third book like that's absolutely crazy and just I don't know it's just really cool seeing different authors journeys un- unfold um, and at least I mean obviously it's way different um than when you're talking about Stephanie Meyer but I feel like to me it's a little bit of the same thing of just watching like kind of a standalone evolve into this whole series as readers is just always really cool to see so just like congratulations on like how huge this series is getting it's been like honestly kind of fascinating to just watch it expand and expand um and I know people are going to be very excited about Foxglove I um thank you to Little Brown because they sent me an advanced copy (laughs) um and it's just I don't know like one of my prized possessions I have a shelf of all of the author interview books that I've ever done so fun a prize to spot on the shelf (laughs) um 
but yeah, so. Well, thank you. I really appreciate that. And I'm very excited. I'm also fascinated by watching it and astounded that it's even happening. Yeah. I don't know. It's just like, just the publishing industry is so interesting. The more and more I learn about it and especially with like stories like yours and just like the process it can take is, I don't know. It's just so fascinating. Um, so we have, we have two questions left. These are always our anchor two questions we ask at the end. The first one is what, um, you know, our show's called On the Shelf. So we ask authors we have on, what's on your shelf? Like, what are you currently reading? I always have to actually turn to my shelf to look and be like, what am I reading? <laughs> mm-hmm. um, currently, I am actually reading some potential blurbs, so books that aren't out yet. Mm-hmm. Um, the one I am about to start is called to gaze upon wicked gods. Mm-hmm. Let me hang on. Let me Google that. That is the exact <laughs> to gaze upon. Yes, that is okay. I'm right. Um, I'm about to read that one. I'm very excited to start it. And then, oh, um, Adrian Young's upcoming book. It comes out in October. It's called the unmaking of June Faro. And it is absolutely wonderful. I cannot recommend that book enough I think it's my favorite one by her so far and she is like so prolific she has like a million books out now I swear no. like uh, I it's... sorry I, I know met her at like some book festival in Boston for sky in the deep and then like just following and it's like almost every six months there's just like new book new book new book like it's crazy trying to follow along with some of that stuff sometimes like it's wild yeah I'm like trying to count how many she has too, because we didn't debut that far apart. I think it was <laughs> two years, maybe three, but like, man, she has just dished those books out. Good for her. But this one in particular, it's, I'm going to say it's, when I say this, you're going to think sci-fi, but it's not sci-fi, but it has time travel elements mm-hmm. and very like, very focused on ancestry and mm-hmm very twisty it is wonderful I think people are going to really love that book um and then one I just actually two I just finished because I'm always listening to an audiobook and the latest audiobook that I listened to was Yellow Face and mm-hmm. I really enjoyed that one and it hits so close to home like working in publishing uh it is I, it is wild how much of the stuff that happens in that book I have actually seen happen like in real life wow. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I just also finished, oh, uh, Bring Me Your Midnight by Rachel Griffin. It was probably my latest like physical read, which is about a young witch who kind of has to choose between duty to her coven and herself when she falls in love with a boy who is not the one that she is arranged to marry. Hmm. Interesting. Um, and speaking of audiobooks, I listened like while I was doing some prep, I revisited Belladonna. I was listening to the audiobook. Your audiobook narrator is so good. Like I, I know. <laughs> like it's, uh, it's so good. And it just added something to the whole atmosphere of reading. And it just made me like all the more excited to talk to you. Cause it's just, I don't know, like audiobooks are just such an extraordinary experience. <laughs> I love audiobooks like as somebody who's I primarily get my reading done by audiobooks Mm -hmm. I could not be happier with the audiobook for Belladonna the narrator Kristen uh, Atherton I believe is how you pronounce her name is phenomenal she kills it I know like it I don't know it just added to my enjoyment because I had already kind of like read through it on my kindle before and just like as an additional layer just like fully created the world like it's just so it's just so fun um so we have one last question and it's our shop small corner um and the little bit of backstory is because way back when when on the shelf started we um were connected to our local independent bookstore here in North Carolina Quill Ridge Books so whenever we have an author on the show we like to give them a place to spotlight an independent bookstore that they like as well as places to find them and their books I love that question. Yeah. I work very closely actually with uh, my local independent store, Mysterious Galaxy. They are 
absolutely wonderful, the best people. They have just been so supportive of so many authors over many years. I think that they're, we just celebrated like their, I want to say 30th birthday mm-hmm. earlier this year. So they've been around for a while and for good reason. They are magnificent. Uh, they do killer, killer events. They're the ones behind the book selling at like comic-con and all these big Mm -hmm. conventions over here in california and they just have it together like they are a well-oiled machine of just the best employees and i highly highly suggest that if you are in the area if you're in san diego you should check them out you can also order so many books through them online uh, a lot of signed books as well because the authors out here like we just we love them so we go into the store as much as we can and sign a bunch of stock so you can find a lot of really cool books through them Awesome. Um, And for listeners, there will be links for where you can purchase Belladonna as well as as of recording. And when this episode is going to be released, pre-order Foxglove, but eventually purchase Foxglove uh, through Mysterious Galaxy as well as through Quail Ridge in North Carolina and Odyssey Books, which is an indie in Massachusetts. And just all of the links so you can support Adeline, support her series, and support an indie bookstore at the same time. Um, But yeah, so thank you so much for joining me today. Uh, Like, this is, I don't know, like, I can't really think of a time, like, I've been smiling more during an interview, if that makes sense. Like, this is just, I've been looking forward to this for so long, and I'm just so happy that this is happening. Well, thank you for having me. This is so much fun. And like the the time before a book comes out is always like the week before is always just like this big stressful period in your chest where you're just like, are people going to love the book? But to like get to fill that time, just chatting with people about it and like doing things like this is, is so fun and also really distracting in the best possible way. Yeah. So best of luck with this upcoming week with Foxglove coming out and just all the endeavors as well as um, with Wisteria, you know, just thank you for spending part of your day. You always have a seat here on On the Shelf if you ever want to return. Um, We really appreciate authors and supporting them any way we can. So just thank you again. Thank you. And thank you everybody for listening. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you enjoyed. If you did enjoy this episode, please rate us on whatever podcast platform you listen on so even more people can enjoy and discover On the Shelf and the authors that we feature. Links for both Belladonna and the upcoming Fox Glove will be as well as where you can find Adeline and On the Shelf online will be down in the show notes. If you're looking for another highly anticipated fall read, check out last week's interview with Ava Reed about her upcoming novel, A Study in Drowning, in the episode, Political Intrigue, Literary Discourse, and a Gothic Manor on a Cliff. Thank you so much for listening. As always, I'm Honora Quinn, and this is On the Shelf. (laughs) 